0: Mr. Nelson Mandela will, within seconds, within seconds appear, and that'll be the moment the world has been waiting for.
1: In the heat of the summer of February 1990, a man walked out of prison and into a new world. Nelson Mandela, his one hand clasped in that of his wife, Winnie, and the other raised to the sky, took his first steps as a free man.
0: There's Mr. Nelson Mandela, a free man, taking his first steps into a new South Africa.
1: He would go on to become president of a democratic, free South Africa, an icon the world over and an inspiration to so many. When he died in 2013, he had become the father of his nation and the most famous man in the world. Well, it is the final episode of this season of Blind History, and we always try to end the season on a big person. I think last time we ended it on Jesus Christ, That's and we're not messing around. So this episode, and we've had a lot of people asking for an episode on this guy, and I was always a little bit mm, careful and cautious because history is something that you need a little bit of distance to be able to evaluate. There's no doubt that this person is one of the greatest people who ever lived, and especially in the context in which you and I find ourselves in South Africa. Yeah. Nelson Mandela. Um, I know you've been very keen to talk about him too. The audience have been asking, where's your episode of Nelson Mandela? And it has been a glaring hole in the story. And in South Africa, he's probably the most famous person who's ever lived in this country. He's the, the one that's made the most difference. Absolutely. So there's a lot of pressure – to do this one right. He's also the first person we've ever featured in blind history that I've actually met. And for that reason, it's, it's very hard to be objective. Like we have with all the others, Mm. you know, I can say, Oh, well, wasn't it great when, you know, Napoleon did this, or wasn't it awesome when Caesar crossed the Rubicon and I can be a little bit interested, but I didn't actually know them in this case. I can't claim to have known him well, but I certainly met him a few times. And I think all of us, have some picture in our minds if you've been alive for more than 10 years of who this man was. Mm. I mean, he's still in our money.
0: You know, we've said in a few of our uh, episodes, what would you do if you could go back to, let's say, Alexander the Great's tent and mm-hmm. ask him something? Yeah. And in this instance here, uh, uh, like you mentioned, Gareth, you might have had that opportunity to ask him something, you know, in in the past because mm. you spent whatever Time with him, or you met him a few times. So th- that's definitely something really special. Well, because in 200 years' time, 300 years' time, people will still be talking about him.
1: Oh, absolutely. So he was born, obviously, in the Eastern Cape in Kurno, actually born in Mvezo. And um, Mveso is just a little way away from, from Kurno, where his uh, grandson, Nkosi Zuele Vilile Mandla Mandela, now runs that tribal and uh, hereditary. Chieftainship. Nelson Mandela was born as a as a Xhosa aristocrat, so he grew up in a family that was quite prominent. His parents and grandparents were well known. He could recite his his family history, and I heard his grandson do this orally, going all the way back to the the first Aba Tembu chief. So this is a long and and very beautiful story of a nation that started in the 1700s mm.
0: and possibly before but certainly then and it seems Gareth that he, that, that his his early childhood was quite calm I yeah mean, he he, had-
1: he spent it was a rural bucolic kind of idyllic childhood you know he was a herd boy mm-hmm. like Correct. so many kids who 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 were their first job effectively was to look after the livestock mm. which were also the economy of the family and he did go to school um, early primary school in Kronu where he met, uh, Miss Mdingane and she was the one who called him Nelson mm. because he needed a, an English or a white Western name. Or, yes, yeah. exactly. But I mean, his real name was, uh, Rolilala. Yeah. And obviously this Christian name stuck and he was named after Horatia Nelson, who
0: we've covered in this season. Yes, brilliant. And I would go ap- aptly. <laughs> yeah. uh, but his name, his cause name. Uh huh. I've, you know, I've just read that it was referring to a, a bent tree or, or troublesome, as such. Well, certainly not someone who will take nonsense lying
1: down. That's that's it. kind of the yes. idea. Yeah, and certainly this guy, by all available evidence, was not someone who would be pushed exactly. around. Exactly. He obviously continued his education and actually went to a Wesleyan Secondary School of some repute, matriculated there. Uh, studied a Bachelor of Arts degree at the University of Fort Hare and went on to study law. And eventually, I mean, we're, we're passing through some important stuff here, but set up a law firm mm. as one of the first black lawyers in Johannesburg. And it was it was Mandela Tambo yeah, lawyers, the Oliver sign. Timber. You could still see photographs of the sign on the original building in Johannesburg. And they started taking on cases which were obviously important to him, and to Oliver Tambo, who's another person we have to do a whole episode on. But it's pretty damn amazing how much got going so early in this guy's career and how he already knew at that point what I think his destiny would be. Mm. He was going to be someone who fought for the underdog. He was going to be someone who stood up for his people.
0: And that was – you mentioned the law firm. That was around 1952, and I think that that 1948 was where the shit hit the fan with the policies of the Correct. Of the the nationalist government. Right. And so his um, officers, um, his law firm was there to protect, you know, and, and he sought firsthand. And I think effectively that's really started to build up the anger, you know, in him and the passion in him to – especially the past laws. And later on, you know, they were onto him. You know, effectively they closed – that. how many times did the security police come in and close the, their, their practice down? Absolutely. Et cetera. But that's where I, I – effectively four years after apartheid and officially with the name apartheid was brought on well i mean this was the this was the big enemy of anyone
1: who was for freedom for you know universal suffrage and the anc had been a party that had been established in the early 1900s, mm. uh, and, and we've spoken a little bit about some of the leaders, the early leaders of the ANC, but he was really, Nelson Mandela was the one who founded the ANC Youth League mm. all those years ago, and he adopted at that point a much more mass-based and more radical policy than the rest, the program of action they kicked into gear in 1949. So this is all concurrent with his mm. legal practice, and he by then had been married to Walter Sisulu's cousin, Evelyn. Uh, who was a nurse. They had two sons, um, and two daughters, both of who died in infancy, but, uh, he and his wife divorced that first wife Mm. in 1958. Yeah. You know, by then he was very much a political figure. Yeah.
0: And I think that that was partly the challenge created in the marriage was that he was really fighting. Like you said, political figure, he went to jail for nine months. Mm. Um, so he wasn't, he wasn't at home a lot. She thought he was having affairs with ANC, um, the people within the women, ANC, yeah. women in the ANC, you know, it, it's, it's very difficult to, I suppose, in those early years and also how we feel, but he belonged to the people, if that makes any sense. And it was, it's tough being married to, to, in that situation, oh, to wow. somebody that belongs to the people. I mean, it's just. You, you, you gotta, everything else comes second, right? Agreed, 100%. So I think that probably had a lot to do with it as well. Yeah.
1: And, and there are lots of people who talk now about Mandela's personal life. And I think he was actually pretty tidy mm. about what he did. You know, a lot of the great people in history have the most messy personal lives. Mm. And certainly when Winnie comes along later on, he put his foot down and said, yeah. no, no, this is not. Acceptable, mm. you know. This is post prison, obviously. Yeah. But but let's just rewind the yes. clock no, for no, a moment. No, no. So going back, he became a restricted person and was banned for the first time in 1952, which you've mentioned already. And then he had to watch in secret as they adopted the freedom charter at Clifton in 1955. Which he, he was part of. He creating. was, but he wasn't allowed to be. Yeah. You know, and the government were really they had their sights set on him. He was already, I think, in the same year. He was charged with the Suppression of Communism Act and their partner campaign on that front, which was obviously Correct. controversial. And he was sentenced to nine months of hard labor. Mm. They could do that in those days. So he'd already had a stint where he was under close observation and in prison. Mm. And now they were watching him like a hawk. Yeah. And this is when the treason trial comes along.
0: Yeah. If we have to just look just during 1952, so intermittently banned. So they were like exactly like you said, they were on his back and, and just imagine restricted, restricted travel, but also restricted speech. Oh yeah. So it's everything against all communications, yeah, all communication. And, and so, the, and, and they were harassing all the anti apartheid, um, activists and a hundred percent what you did. He went on trial and I mean it, – it, it, but I think that trial was just a joke.
1: Well, it was because ultimately all the 28 accused were acquitted and that was in 1961. But men and women of all races found themselves there mm-hmm. being tried. And obviously uh, the famous Sidney Kentridge was the, the man who stepped up and and made the defense. And it was, it was something that the apartheid government didn't expect. They thought their judges would do their bidding, mm-hmm. you know, just like – Current politicians think the judges will do their bidding, but judges, the best ones, operate individually yeah. and independently and make decisions based on the mm-hmm. law. But there was the Sharpeville massacre in nineteen
0: sixty nine. Nineteen sixty. Sorry, but but Gareth, this this uh, was the big turning point as well because yeah. I mean you can see definitely throughout his life, and even you know when he came back out of prison, he, you know he, he was a pacifist. He it, it wasn't. He was nonviolent. He wanted to work through things in a non-violent manner. But after the massacre in 1960, and he realized he's not going to get anywhere with the incumbent regime without more um, aggressive campaigns. So, and then he started to upskill himself and mm-hmm. he went, he went into Africa and look, he had to sneak around. I mean, they were yeah. onto him and they, I think they called him during that time. A lot of people, because he kept evading, they called him the black Pumpernel. <laughs> so, um because he they could never find him. But, he was on the continent, and I don't know if he went offshore, but he was definitely up in Algeria, where he was where he was trained in guerrilla tactics and all of those things. It's very much against his soul. Um,
1: well, I mean, there's a lot of controversy around this too, because this is where his reputation of freedom fighter versus terrorist becomes the talking mm-hmm. point, which people are still debating. And obviously, that's where the line "one man's freedom fighter is another man's terrorist" yeah. comes from. Um, but he helped establish Mkwanto Wesizwe at this Mm, point. You know, we've also got to remember that South Africa was under a state of emergency. Um, there were, there were lots of things going on. There was the banning of the ANC at that point and the banning of the PAC. There were people detained constantly for Mm. whatever reason. So it wasn't clear when you would get into trouble with who. You could Mm. be saying something. You could be sending a letter. You could, you could just be arrested at Mm. any time for being part of this insurgency, as the old government called it. And it was at this point that he met Winnie and married her, um, in 1958. And they had two daughters, famously Zenani and uh, Zindi. They divorced much later in 1996, but she remained his companion through all those years mm. that followed the trials and tribulations of what took place next. But in the face of all the mobilization, that was where he decided it was time to take on these slightly more guerrilla tactics. Mm which you mentioned earlier and under the, the guise of Mkonto Oasis, where they arranged explosions and bombs were put in certain places and it was basically civil disruption. Yeah. And obviously people were killed at this mm. point. This gave the government the opportunity to finally bring
0: him to trial. Yeah, So, and actually it wasn't a long period of time that, the, that, that he had the opportunity, you know, to go on to, on, to change this tactic because he was locked up very soon afterwards. But um, they also found a, a cache of, of ammunition in Ravonia, hmm. So the writing was on the wall. And then he also he made a decision, or he always knew that he's going to stand up, accept everything, and just he's going to tell it like it is. And I think that, you know, one of his famous speeches, you know, I'm prepared to die. Yep. Um, th- that's That all happened. And um, during that type of period, and it's insane what happened in those days.
1: Well, this is where he became, first of all, in the eyes of the, Old regime, notorious, but in the eyes of of the the, the people, a hero. Mm. So this is where he went to trial. Luckily, he was spared the death penalty, but he was sent off to Robben Island. And really, this is where it becomes almost legendary because Mm. the last picture you see of him is in the 1960s. And then he becomes this enigma for twenty seven years, where nobody knows anything about him, mm. only the government they control very strictly who 's allowed to go and see mm. him he 's writing letters he 's very much involved. This is a man who 's studious beyond belief. He spends his days talking, trying to work things out, trying to understand how politics works, trying to to figure out the dynamics of the of the the other prisoners on robin island he 's also doing hard labor, mining you know. In the quarry there,
0: yeah, and his eyes were uh, permanently, permanently damaged, damaged as a result of that,
1: which was one of the reasons why, in the times I met him, there was no flash photography allowed because oh, it was no like picnic. This yeah, it was a proper no, hard labor. It was, it was awful. Robin Island was really awful, and you know this this involves obviously his arrest in Hawick, where there's now a monument, Lily's Leaf Farm, yes. here just down the road from mm-hmm. us. Robin Island and and later on uh, Drakenstein Prison, where he
0: ended up. But this is really the the legendary part of his story. Yeah, and the core celebrity that's what yeah. that's where it came from. Absolutely. And if you think of the, the 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 support that he garnered um, around the world, so so we Gareth like you, I'm a little bit older though, but um, we grew up in this transition and mm-hmm. effectively. And and if we if we travelled and if I travel every if, if I went to London, there was always some sort of, um, peaceful, not strike, but, you know, demonstration Protest. at the South Africa house. Free Protest. Mandela. It, it was always, it was almost permanently at Trafalgar square and, and, um, wherever they were, they always, and there were concerts being held and, you know, just incredible things, even things named after him when he was in prison, you know, like a nuclear particle was named after him while he was in yeah. prison. It was just, uh, there was just that massive support and, and, I mean, they, 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 it took the guys, the, the, the regime a while to see that this title rave was coming.
1: Yeah. Well, you're exactly right. Um, meanwhile, while he was in prison, his mother died in 68, his eldest son in 69. He couldn't attend either funeral. Mm-hmm. They'd never let him out. Um, eventually, went to Polsmore and then to Drakenstein, And he started discussing things with the government. I think they realized the writing was on the wall mm-hmm. and it was a ticking time bomb. And the first government's meetings with Mandela occurred somewhere in the late 70s, early 80s, you know, because they realized also this is, you can't keep a lid on this thing. Mm. It's going to explode. The whole world is against you. Yeah. And ultimately, there've got to be decisions made. There was obviously the referendum, which took place, the unbanning of the ANC, and Mm. then but a bada bing, but bada boom—you mm. got like Nelson Mandela is about to be released. Big announcement by F.W. Yeah. de Klerk. Obviously, and we could go into this in some detail, but there were there were secret meetings being held between P.W. Botha and Mandela, mm. the Justice Minister, and various members of the ANC, and lots of lots of these clandestine things that happened in order to bring about a more peaceful change yeah. and to avert at all costs civil war, because the apartheid government, while they were managing certain things. And they could keep a lid on certain things. There were other things that were getting out of control. Mm -hmm. The economy, international pressure, the, the, the number of allies they had was shrinking by the day. There
0: was was heavy sanctions. Yeah, Um, massive problems. It was crippling. But also if you couldn't control him because that they really, like you mentioned in the seventies, they said, look, we'll release you, but on condition that you, that you accept the status of, of like to transcar. Remember they made those Mm -hmm. little, Bante stones, Bante correct. And then, uh, but but he said no. And then they came again in nineteen. That uh, ten years later, they would come back to him. So he's how long he's been in prison for? And said, if you renounce violence, you're a free man. And famously said, well, as a prisoner, um, I mean, I have no say. <laughs> I need to be free to be able to renounce certain things, you know. So, so it was yeah. they couldn't put a lid on him.
1: He was eventually released and it was probably one of the most famous days in South African, if not world history. And it became I mean, I remember being a kid. I was I was ten, twelve, and I watched this on TV and I just knew there was something big going on here. Everyone everywhere who had a TV in the world was watching this. Mm-hmm. And he decided, you know, that he would run as ANC president and eventually was elected as president of the country. Um, he took over from Oliver Tambo, by the way, as ANC president. And he and de Clark jointly won the Nobel Peace Prize in uh, 1993. And in April of 1994, South Africa went to the polls for its first mm-hmm. ever democratic election. And Nelson Mandela was voted and elected our first democratic yeah. president.
0: And one of the things is he, he also famously said, he was, he was relieved that that, the ANC didn't get more than sixty-six percent. He said it would have just created more challenges, and because he, he he so badly wanted it to be integrative and um and a collaborative, and I think that was his massive strength. Where he, multicultural government. Yeah. Oh, it's yeah. was insane. It was just he was, what, a, what he he, was a,
1: by all accounts this guy was a tremendous negotiator, yeah. but hardcore. Yeah. Like he, he could really put his foot down, and there were people who crossed him and made a mistake and never made that mistake again.
0: But Gareth uh, uh, what one thing is where you can actually see his personality was okay, so then I FW declared um say, okay, you're released XXX. So we we agree that you're gonna be released on Tuesday at at ten AM. He says, no, I will be released on Wednesday at ten AM. So he's he decided he told them when he's gonna be released. (laughs) I'm not gonna be released then, I'm gonna be released on that day.
1: Yeah. I mean uh, there's so much that, that we can say in terms of like interesting facts, anecdotal stories, apocryphal stuff that you don't know whether it's true or not. And this is someone who's lived in our own lifetimes. It shows you how history yeah. can change in the blink of an eye and broken telephone sets in. But I think it is fairly clear to anyone who's reading any of the, the, the historical information, newspaper articles and the rest of it that he was managing something quite masterful here: the government of national unity, reintroducing South Africa to the international community, opening up the economy, mm. um, creating opportunities for people who'd been not only disenfranchised but had been kept out for their entire ban- lives.
0: And it's trying to t- fix the imbalance, which is absolutely actually, uh, we're still struggling. We're still struggling
1: energy. with it now. Yeah, um, and and the ANC. It may not have been the best vehicle for that, but this guy was ex- extraordinary, yeah. exceptional in every way. And, and he had the, the world eating out of his hand mm. as well. So we had moral high ground mm. and moral capital to play with. I think that's gone. Um, there's no way we can negotiate at the level that he nah. used to. But that story is magical. And we'll summarize the end of his life because I don't want to go into too much detail around this – but he stepped down after one term. Again, something African leaders and dictators all over the world are loath to do. Mm. You know, they want to stay around as yeah, long as possible. At least a second term. Yeah. This, not him. Yeah. And Thabo did most of the head of government stuff because Mandela was most of his time as president, really the head of state. I mean, he would mm. take control of some important discussions, but essentially he was our head of state. Thabo was our head of government. Mm. And so Talmonbeck, you could argue, had three terms, or three and two and a bit terms. <laughs> mm, yeah. But you know, he he also has at this point lots of personal issues going on. Winnie he and he divorce. He marries Grasse Michelle.
0: Yeah. Well, just the points. So there's two quick points on this. First of all, Grasse Michelle. You know, we spoke and gushed about Eleanor of Aquitaine. Yeah. And she was she was she was first the queen of France, and then she was the queen of England. Grassa Michelle was the, was basically the first lady first, of Mozambique and then the first lady of South Africa, which is also quite impressive and she was a very powerful woman in her own right, I think great energy for him in his later life yeah but winnie there was a lot of challenges with Winnie she was an activist right throughout mm. but, but I have a, you know I have a own personal anecdote that uh, my father in law um actually mentioned to me, and she was she was banished to Brantford. Winnie. Yeah. Yes. During that time, she needed, because it's a very small little town and you, you can't get anything there. So she would then send her driver to, or drivers to Bloemfontein to collect, um, whatever she needed, because it's not far away. And then they would get arrested by the security police all the time. So they would be locked up in jail. And, and my father-in-law was an attorney and still he's practicing an attorney in Bloemfontein and, there, uh, when Winnie's lawyer would contact him and, you know, can he, and he went and he got them released. And then Winnie would phone him, <laughs> phone my father in law, and she was extremely grateful and wow. saying, you know, you know what you've done. Thank you very much. And anyway, and he said he didn't do it once, twice, three times. He did it a lot. Security police were honest. So you see,
1: these are the stories. Yeah. Now.
0: You see, when you get to, to know these people, when you actually meet the
1: people in history, and this is why I've been reticent to do an episode like this, you get beautiful stories like mm-hmm. that. And it colors in a lot of things in a way that we can't do for the others. So it it kind of makes those stories from 1100 or whatever else Mm. seem so far away and so not human, like they've got superpowers or whatever. But I mean his lasting legacy is obviously the ongoing democratic institutions that were established during his term as president, uh, our constitution, the Nelson Mandela Children's Fund – the Nelson Mandela Road Scholarships. Mm. Um, he died in December 2013 at the age of, what, 95? Um, he had been ailing for some time at that point, but a, probably the biggest funeral in South African history that took yeah. place then. He's buried in Kurnu on the family farm. I, I don't think anyone's been allowed to visit the grave except family. It's certainly not mm. open as a tourist attraction. But – you know this is the greatest man in south african history i think it's fair for anyone who's looking at the the impact of somebody yeah. to put him in the top 3 at very least but i'd say at number 1
0: i 100% agree i think as well as just during his time when he was released people were on him you know to do this and do that He was in a sparkly movie oh yeah Um, No, they weren't. And every celebrity in the
1: world was flying to South Africa to meet him, and it was just exhausting. Poor Zelda, his his PA, had the had the most difficult time just telling people no because this is an old man who actually needed to like be with his family, eat, sleep, you know, have some time to himself. Yeah, having to meet every famous person who wasn't famous enough yet.
0: But also awards. I mean, um, oh, every award. I mean, every single thing. There's also a controversial, you know, about the Nobel Peace Prize that he, that not with him, but, you know, with FW. But, yeah. and there was, there was a lot of, there was a little well, bit
1: of. Well, my least favorite part of talking about Nelson Mandela is the way that revisionist historians have come along now and said he could have done more. He didn't do enough. He wasn't good enough. This guy was a sellout. You know, mm. that's the word you, you hear sometimes. And this comes from highly uneducated and, and stupid people. Mm. There's no other way to put it. Yeah, I know, 100%. If you were there, I'd like to see you have done a better job.
0: Yeah, I 100% agree. (laughs) But I think that obviously the Nobel Priest Prize was the pinnacle, but there was just, it's insane what he did. And a father of our nation, you know, that we, we, we are passionate about sport as a nation. He was passionate about sport. He felt that sport could, could transgress all and could unite people. And in fact, it really, really did. And um, and whenever I just felt whenever he attended a match, and it actually there wasn't a Springbok match that he did attend that we didn't that we did not win, so we won all of them. <laughs> so he was the magic child. Yeah, yeah. So then and then when he st- st- when he wasn't attending, I thought oh, no. oh, it's going to go bad. Yeah, man. yeah. So but, well, but effectively, I mean, he was such a, st- a great brand ambassador.
1: I know that this is not objective, but I'm going to quote from the Nelson Mandela Foundation in their their line describing him. At the end of their biography Nelson Mandela never wavered in his devotion to democracy Equality and learning Despite terrible provocation He never answered racism with racism His life is an inspiration To all who are oppressed and deprived And to all who are oppressed To oppression and deprivation And I think that's Probably more
0: well put Than anything I yeah, could write I can't so add to it.
1: Beautiful Thanks for listening to this episode of Blind History. Every episode is available on the Cliff Central app, cliffcentral.com, or wherever you get your podcasts.